my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Moss Show, where we talk about Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies. We talk about the decentralized revolution that we are living through, that we're witnessing right now. And it is never a dull moment as we are witnessing the world change right before our very eyes. Man, I know I say it a lot, but I just... I'm just continued just to be impressed by just, you know, the old Vladimir Lenin quote of um, decades where nothing seems to happen and then decades or days where decades seem to happen. And that's exactly kind of where we're living through. You know, I've been uh, talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies basically full time since like 2016. I got into it in 2015. And once I kind of really understood what it was, well, I'm still trying to figure out what it is. <laughs> uh, for all of you guys that think you already know what you're talking about, I'm still trying to figure out what it is. But when I when I kind of thought I had understood what it was, I was like, "Dang, I gotta I gotta tell the whole world about this." So I guess uh, let me let me tell you my story real quick. Uh, maybe I don't know if I've done that before. So um, you're listening to the Mark Moss Show, and I'm talking about uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. I might as well tell you my own little experience here. So you know, I. Uh, 
let's say that I had become pretty disillusioned with the financial system and the political system after the 2008 great financial crash. It was devastating for me. Um, I lost a lot of money. I pretty much got wiped out. I uh, then had to go and try to figure out what this whole financial system was about. As I started to dig deep into that and try to learn that, um, I became you know, very disillusioned with the system, to say the least. Um, and I and I figured out um, that the problem was that we had this inflationary monetary system, basically where the Fed can just create unlimited amounts of money. And if we could go back to something like the gold standard, um, where we had sound money, hard money, hard money or sound money, meaning that uh, nobody could just go create more of it, right? We had a, a limited amount if we can go back to something like that, then that could solve a lot of the problems. When I became this gold bug, and um, you know, moving forward, I became this gold bug, and I started, like I said, very disillusioned with politics, to the point where I kind of wanted to just ignore it. I was like, you know, it it it, it doesn't do me any good to pay attention to this, um, get all excited by it. Uh, politics uh, gets a lot of dopamine released in our bodies, which is why we get really addicted to it. But I said, it's kind of a waste of my time. My vote doesn't count. Um, nothing I can do is going to change anything. I'm not connected enough to be part of the inside. Um, so my goal would just be to move away to Central America somewhere, live on a beach, surf and fish, and just, you know, I don't want to be a freedom fighter. That's what I told my wife. I don't want to be a freedom fighter. And I was uh, I was subscribed to this newsletter. Shout out to Sovereign Man. If any of you guys have ever heard that, and if not, you should check it out. And I subscribed to this newsletter called Sovereign Man, which is um, a newsletter that talks about being exactly what the name says, which is being you know a sovereign man. Sovereign. Um, the way that I look at sovereign is sovereignty is being able to direct my life as I see fit in a way that leads to my own ends. So I'm not being coerced, like uh, coercion would be, um, I'm forced to make a choice that leads to somebody else's end. So for example, take the jab or lose your job. Well, either choice I make leads me to your ends. It doesn't lead me to my ends. So sovereignty means I can make my choices that lead me to my ends. So a sovereign man being a, being a man that, that can control my destiny, if you will. And he, makes, he made the very compelling case that you wouldn't put all your money into one stock, would you, right? Or one investment? Of course, the answer is no. And and why wouldn't you do that? Well, because of risk. And so if you wouldn't do that, then why do you have your whole life in one country? Hmm. It's a very compelling argument. I had to think about that. And the answer is, well, <laughs> you maybe shouldn't, especially um, at that time. This is back, uh, you know, 20, 13, 14, 15, that I was kind of reading this and thinking about this. Of course, it's never been more more true and real today. It's something that I spend a lot of time. So what I'm pounding the table on is something called financial sovereignty, which is uh, financial freedom, but then you use that freedom to have, uh, I'm sorry, that financial, financial freedom part to have more sovereignty and more freedom. So financial sovereignty, that's what I like to focus on. Of course, if you tune in on a regular basis, then you know that that's what I talk about. We're making money. We're working on our freedom, more options to deal with the world of uncertainty. If you're not tuning in on a regular basis, then you should. So make sure to put a calendar reminder for this date, this time, this channel, and join me each and every week. And if you want to know more about financial sovereignty, I care about it so much. Not only do I talk about it all the time, I actually started an event just uh, to focus on financial sovereignty and help people learn more about it and have more money and freedom at the same time. You can check that out at Market 
disruptorslive.com. We're actually having our, our second annual live event coming up next month. Be awesome to come out, meet some new people, make some new friends, meet, meet and greet me and some of the best speakers in the world to talk about how to make more money, build, grow, protect your wealth, as I like to say it. So marketdisruptorslive.com, check that out. But so I was on this path for sovereignty and I was, uh, he makes the case that why would you have your whole life in one country? And so we're in a digital age, you can have multiple flags in multiple countries. And so why not have uh, bank accounts in other countries? And that way, if your bank in the, your country seizes your bank accounts here, you have bank accounts everywhere. Uh, why not have gold stored in other countries? Why not have multiple passports and, and these types of things? And so I was actually in the process of um, setting up a, uh, a corporation in Panama so I could set up a trust in Panama. I could open up a bank account in Panama. I put about $75,000 at the time back in 2015 into that bank account. And one, it would earn very good interest. I think at the time it was paying like 7% interest in the bank, which was pretty, pretty good, especially considering today's terms, it's at zero. So I'd make like 7% on my money, which was pretty good back then. Um, well, it's good right now too. Um, and then the best part is then I would get residency. So then I can get residency. And then after several years, I think it was five years, I could actually get um, citizenship. I can get a passport. That was 2015. Um, if I would have done that, I would have my citizenship by now, but if, but I didn't do it. And the reason why I didn't do it is I took another look at Bitcoin. And it had been coming across my desk for a while. I, I've, I've been in, in the tech space and the internet space for a long time. I started an internet business in 2001 at the bottom of the dot-com crash. And I've been in, on the internet ever since. And so I'm a tech guy. I'm an investor. And so it had come across my desk many times. And in 2013, it had ran up to like $1,000. And then it had dropped back down to like couple hundred bucks. And I was like, eh, maybe not. Uh, but I took another look at it. I bought it. I'm like, this is the same thing. It's like getting my money out of the bank, which is what I was ultimately trying to do. So I bought Bitcoin. And once I found out about it, once I once I put some in, what we call it, putting a little skin in the game. Once I had a little skin in the game, I had a little bit of Bitcoin, then it encouraged me to start learning more about it. And as I started learning more about it, I started to realize like, we actually have a tool that we can win with. Like, this is something we can do. And so I have to tell everybody in the world that I know about it. And so I did. And as I said, <laughs> where I started the story is I've been talking about Bitcoin uh, and cryptocurrencies and this decentralized revolution now full time since about 2016. And the reason why I say that is um, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies had this amazing run, 2015, 2016, 2017. Uh, Bitcoin started the year 2017 at $1,000 and finished the year at $20,000. It was amazing, a 20x return in, in just a year. Um, but then in December of 2017, it had this spectacular blow off top um, and dropped all the way back down to 3000 and everybody was mad and upset and sad and whatever. And then 2018 and 2019 happened and there was like nothing going on. And there was like nothing to talk about. <laughs> like it was literally like this long, cold winter. And I went for like a year and it's like, man, what can I even talk about now? And I'm like starting to talk about like just more like general business stuff. Maybe I talk about a little bit of like personal development stuff. Like it's boring around here. What the heck is going on? And the reason why I say that is because there's decades where nothing seems to happen. Or in that case, there was a couple years where nothing seemed to happen. And here we are uh, now there's days where decades seem to happen. And so today it's like every day there's like multiple stories. I need to be talking about, which, um, by the way, I'm uh, thinking about starting a daily podcast and a daily YouTube show. If you're not following me on YouTube, you should, Mark Moss. I got a lot to cover today because there is so much that happened. So do not go away. I'm going to be right back. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. 
Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Moss Show, and we're talking about... As I said, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, you know, we're talking about this decentralized revolution um, that's sweeping the world. Before the break, I was just talking about how sometimes, you know, decades where nothing seems to happen. And here we are where everything seems to happen. And I'm, I'm talking about this, you know, on a daily basis about this decentralized revolution. That's what I, that's what I call it. And I've been talking about a lot, if you haven't heard, um, about these three revolutionary cycles that are converging and you hear a lot about uh, a lot of people talking about different aspects of this. So, for example, Ray Dalio, um, one of the smartest investors in the world, the founder of Bridgewater Capital, the largest uh, fund in the world. Uh, he recently wrote a book called 
The Changing World Order. It's an amazing book. I highly recommend it. Um, it's a big book. It's a thick book with tons of charts, tons of data. And he really outlines uh, a bunch of things, including you know these long-term debt cycles. So really, he focuses on like the financial revolution aspect about every 80 years, the financial um, the financial system is reset. And he really and he really talks about the rise and fall of empires. And it's great. Uh, again, I highly recommend it. I like to take that. So there's this 80 year financial revolution cycle and then look at it with a 250 year political revolution cycle. Um, and the 250 year revolution cycle is basically like a pendulum that swings back and forth. And um, on a 250 year time frame, we move towards globalization or centralization where things get more and more centralized, uh, more central government, more central banks, right? WEF, World, Health, World Economic Forum, World Health Organization, World Trade Organization, the IMF, the UN, et cetera, these central entities taking more and more control over our lives. So the world's been swinging that way. And now that pendulum is maxing out. It's ready to swing back the other way. So this is something I've talked a lot about. If you want to learn more about that, you can just search uh, Mark Moss, um, Three Cycles, something like that. Go to go to YouTube, search Mark Moss, Three Cycles. You'll see that. Um, and so really, if you look at that, it's like I said, it's on a 250-year time frame. And sort of like the the four seasons of a year, you know, summer, spring, winter, fall, on the calendar, there's an exact date that that season switches, but that doesn't mean the weather changes that exact day, right? So it's kind of like plus or minus a little bit. And so that's kind of how these cycles are as well, about every 80 years, 84 years, right? About every 250 years. And so you kind of have this range. And so that's kind of where we're at. I think this range really started about 2017, 2016, 2017, and it ends about 2030. So it's kind of this we're in we're in this where the where the pendulum is maxing out and then swinging back the other way and so as it maxes out and swings back it's in that range right so that's kind of where we're at and so it really started with uh, Brexit right 2016 Brexit um, that was um, Britain trying to break apart from the EU right so the EU was massive centralization just centralized the whole continent of Europe right um, and then Brexit was like hey we don't want to be part of that big central force anymore let's break apart. Um, Donald Trump getting elected was was another symbol of that, right? It was rejecting the status quo. Um, Hillary Clinton was would have been more um, centralization, right? She was part of that status quo. Uh, Trump getting elected was the symbolization of that pendulum swinging back, where people are saying, "No, we don't want that anymore." Um, the 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 yellow jacket protest in Paris, you know, was that. And so we see this, and here we are now today, uh, 2022, and we are at the climax. I mean, it's it's the climax. Uh, the pendulum is is rapidly starting to move the other way, and uh, so much that you know this Russia Ukraine war has really exaggerated this. And Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, the largest asset manager in the world, about two weeks ago came out and said, "This is the end of globalization." It's that big. So, um, like I said, you can go watch those videos if you want to know more about that. Just search Mark Moss and um, Three Cycles on YouTube. But um, what I want to talk about today was more like what what would deglobalization mean for the financial markets? What does it mean for inflation? More specifically, what would it mean for Bitcoin? Something I wanted to talk about. I, th I thought it'd be pretty interesting, especially seeing as here we are uh, witnessing all of this happening right here before our very eyes. So what would it mean for Bitcoin? What would it mean specifically for Bitcoin's price? I think that's what a lot of people want to know. I don't typically talk about price a lot because I think it's probably the least interesting aspect of Bitcoin. Um, when you're looking at a new technology, 
like Bitcoin, a technological revolution, really. The way that you want to look at it is you want to look at user adoption, user growth. Are we getting more users on the network? And two, are we having development on the network? Those are the most interesting things. The price, the price will get there. Um, the price of Bitcoin is very volatile. What does that mean? It goes up and down a lot, up and down, up and down, up and down. Now, volatility, for some people say it's a bad thing. They say, how can Bitcoin ever be used for a store of value? It's too volatile. But volatility is a good thing and it's a bad thing because volatility works both ways, up and down. If it never went up, then Bitcoin would just always be at zero. It would never go up. You can't go from zero to $40,000 in um, you know 12 years without volatility. So that's just the price that you pay. The way that I like to look at volatility is it's the, it's the difference between perception and reality. So what do I mean by that? Well, the reality is, is that the Bitcoin network itself is, and Bitcoin technology, the reality is it's growing. We're getting more users. We're getting more adoption. Billionaires are now using it as the reserve. Fortune 500 companies are now using it as the reserve. Countries like El Salvador are now using it as their reserves. States in the United States are starting to now accept payments and fees in it. Um, other governments like Mexico now have uh, put laws into effect to put it as legal tender in, the, in those countries as well. So it, the network is growing. The network affects more people are using it. And at the same time, we're stealing more and more mind share. So we have some of the best and brightest people. I mentioned Ray Dalio's Bridgewater Capital. The CFO left Bridgewater Capital to go work for a Bitcoin company. We're stealing massive amounts of mind share at the Bitcoin conference last week. Uh, we had Jordan Peterson come as one of the headliners. Now, he's probably one of the smartest intellectuals in the world today. And he's at the Bitcoin conference. So we're just this we're this this amount of mind share is just all being sucked in. So the network is growing rapidly. Um, and uh, the mind share is growing rapidly. That's the reality. The perception, though, is the volatility. So what happens is people see these moves and they get so excited, they start pushing the price up and the price goes up higher and faster and, and further from reality than it should be. People think it's it's it's. It's, it's, it's guaranteed. It's going to be here tomorrow. Everybody buy in, right? And so their, their, their perception gets over-exaggerated. And then people go, well, you know what? It's, it's, it's not that big. And then it starts selling off. And then it gets oversold, and then it, it goes below reality. But reality, I mean, if I was drawing this out for you on a piece of paper, if I had reality moving at like a 45-degree angle, right? It's, it's moving on an upward trajectory. More users, more adoption, more mind share, more development, right? That's the reality. The perception goes up and down like an S across that line. It gets overvalued, and then it gets sold off, and it's undervalued. And then it goes back to overvalued and undervalued. And that's a good thing, and it's also our opportunity. Because if we understand this, then we have an opportunity to get in and play these little things. Now, I'm not a trader. I don't recommend that you trade it. But what happens is when it gets oversold and it snaps below what we believe that reality to be, that's our chance to buy in. And so it gives us that opportunity. But uh, as I talk about price being not that, uh, that uh, interesting, I don't talk about that much. Here we are talking about the price. But I want to talk more specifically about what would 
what would this whole global deglobalization mean that we're going through? The Russia-Ukraine war is exaggerating. Larry Fink says it's the end of globalization. The pendulum is swinging back from centralization to decentralization, deglobalization. What does it mean for Bitcoin? And more specifically, what does it mean for Bitcoin's price? Um, as things have glo as as we've moved towards globalization, people have enjoyed lower costs, right? From the expansion of free trade, um, offshoring labor, having products made overseas, and as that unwinds, what happens to Bitcoin? What happens to Bitcoin's price? I'm going to talk about that and more. You're listening to the Mark Moss Show, talking about, of course, Bitcoin cryptocurrencies and the decentralized, or in this point, the deglobalized uh, world that we're moving into. Super fascinating to, to be. To be living through this right now, this is the point where literally history books will be written. And if you navigate this correctly, it could be the biggest opportunity of your life, which I think it is. I think it's the greatest risk-adjusted opportunity we've ever seen. But you have to understand what you're seeing. And that's what I'm here to say, uh, to tell you. So don't go away. I'm going to be right back with more. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at legalshield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for for complete terms. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market. 
as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. You're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, the decentralized revolution. Of course, we talk about each, each and every week. Um, we talk about it each and every week because it's the biggest thing happening in the world. Uh, the world's changing as we speak, and it's going to be... It's not going to be good for most people that aren't paying attention, but it could be the biggest opportunity of your life if you navigate it correctly. And of course, that's what I want for you. That's what it is, has already been for me, and and it will continue to be, and I want you to be a part of that. Uh, so we were talking about uh, deglobalization. I was talking about the price of Bitcoin being the least important part, but talking about deglobalization and what does it mean for Bitcoin's price? Because we have all these catalysts going on in the world. We have massive inflation and people are like, well, shouldn't this be good for Bitcoin? Then why isn't the price of Bitcoin going up? And people aren't able to figure that out. And then we have this deglobalization. And shouldn't that be helping, right? I mean, if the dollar is dying, shouldn't Bitcoin be the beneficiary? So I want to talk about that. So obviously what's setting this up, I was kind of hinting to is is uh, history tells us right on a 250 year time frame, we max out on globalization, centralization, and the world pushes back or the pendulum swings back to decentralization or deglobalization. And so, um, you know, if the pandemic seems like a black swan event or um, the Russia-Ukraine war seems like a black swan event, it's not. We already knew that right now, we would be rejecting globalization and moving back to deglobalization. And that's exactly what's happening. And we're watching it unfold like we knew it would. I've been talking about this for over a year and a half. You can go back and uh, study that. Go back and check out my YouTube channel. Just search Mark Moss, Three Cycles. Uh, you'll find that information. So um, we have this geopolitical crisis, Russia-Ukraine. And what's happening is uh, over the last, I mean, really 250 years, but really if we just look back over like the last 50 years, the United States and really the world has been globalizing. So we've been starting to work more with each other's countries. We're having more products. The United States is offshoring a lot of its manufacturing base. It's having products made in overseas in Asia, things like that. Um, we're getting these interconnected systems that um, tie everything together, supply chains, um, you know, shipping lines, all these things. And what that's allowed for things to do is for, um, as the world gets more connected, it's allowed things to get cheaper. So we took a $50,000 a year job that was in the United States, and now it's $8,000 over in India. We take a $100 electronic part that was made in the United States, and now it's made for $8 over in Asia or something like that. And so what's happened is, especially over the last 50 years, is we've had this globalization, which has brought prices down at the same time as the central banks around the world have created trillions of dollars. So creating trillions of dollars is inflationary that inflates the monetary supply, which then pushes prices up. But as it's been doing that, the world has been globalizing, which has been pushing prices down. And so it's been able to hide a lot of this. But as we start to reverse that, they're not going to be able to hide that. And we can see that, um, you know, since the fall of the, I mean, like I said, if you want to look at like the last 50 years, it's really started. The fall of the Soviet Union, 1991, really started that. Um, but it's been happening for a long time, faster and faster and faster. And now economists think that um, as this starts to break apart, it doesn't take a 
economist to figure this out, um, to make certain commodities or products, it's going to become more expensive. Doesn't take a genius to figure that out, right? Uh, <laughs> if 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 it was a hundred dollars to make in the U.S. and then it was eight dollars to make in Asia, now I have to make it in the U.S. again. Of course, it's going to be more expensive. It's easy. And um, if we have to onshore all this labor again, and I so now I used to pay people eight thousand dollars overseas, now I have to pay them fifty thousand in the U.S. I'm going to have to charge more for my products. It's just the way it is. And so while we've been enjoying these lower prices, that might be over. The trend is reversing, so to speak, because, like I said, the end of this globalization. We can't we can't trust each other anymore. We can't trust each other with the with the with the financial system. Um, you know, we have and even before the Russia Ukraine thing, we had the the U.S. China trade war that broke out, and that worsened. You know, with with the global uh, let's call it the coronavirus pandemic. Um, then that started straining supply chains. You hear a lot about, you know, the Biden administration telling you inflation's happening because supply chain, supply chains, right? And so started with the U.S.-China trade war, then it went into the pandemic. And then, of course, now we have the Russia-Ukraine war, which none of them are black swans, right? This, this is all predicted. Um, and so we've seen that exports are getting choked off. In some cases, you know, we can't get enough parts, which then means prices go up even more. This is all part of deglobalization, but what is the economic impact of that? So as global trade in many goods and commodities get disrupted even further, then end product prices will continue to rise and contribute to inflation, right? What we've seen just so far from the Russia-Ukraine war is causing shortages of oil and gas, which turns out we need those things, <laughs> unlike a lot of people t thinking that we have already built up enough um, they call it renewable energy. I like to call it unreliable energy because the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine. And so it turns out we don't have uh, wind and solar built up like they told us that we did. And it turns out we still need things like oil and gas to survive. Not only do we need oil and gas to like move our cars and our planes, which of course move our food, <laughs> uh, we actually need it for the production of food. So we need the natural gas to make the fertilizer to make the crops. And guess what? We still need food. And so now we're having shortages of oil and gas, and that means we're having short shortage of food, food shortages, food crisis, really. Wheat, nickel, and neon, we need those for, you know, electronics. All sorts of goods we're starting to see that uh, we're having shortages, which is pushing prices up. And uh, those kinds of shortages, of course, supply and demand. We go shortage of goods, and then that pushes the prices up, leads to price spikes. At the same time, you know, more supply chain issues cause more price spikes. And it's this, it's this, uh, vert, this vicious cycle, if you will. And it turns out the central banks are good at printing money, but they can't print more oil or natural gas. Imagine that, which is pretty interesting. So there's really not a lot they can do. Now, they could go print a few trillion dollars and say, go build more energy production plants or go grow more food. But it takes years to get there. So it's not something they can just do. And, you know, we, we hear a lot about inflation, inflation, inflation. As a matter of fact, in the last week or two, uh, the latest CPI, Consumer Price Index numbers, came out from the government. We're at 8.5%, a record level that we haven't been to in, in, I think, 42 years since the 80s, which, of course, when we had record high inflation back then as well. And and we cured it with uh, then-President Reagan's uh, Fed chair, Paul Volcker, getting crazy and raising rates to over 20%. 20. Now they've been at zero for the last several years and they had to raise them over 20% to stop it. Um, and so here we are at that, at, at that place again, but the, you know, the federal reserve thinks they can control inflation by raising interest rates and, and, you know, shrinking the size of its balance sheet supposedly, 
But even if they do that, it's unlikely that higher prices are going to go away soon because they can raise rates all they want. They can shrink the balance sheet all they want. But as I said, they can't print more energy. They can't print more oil or gas. They can't print more uh, wheat. That doesn't just come back. And so we're going to have those massive inflationary forces. It doesn't seem like um, the higher prices are going to go away anytime soon. And so what happens then to the U.S. dollar's dominance in global commerce? Well, if if supply chains start breaking down, we don't need as much global commerce. And so now we probably um, see the dollar starting to lose more ground as the major global currency. Um, not, not that it would lose. I'm not necessarily calling for an end of the dollar's reserve currency status, but we definitely see a fragmentation at a smaller level. Um, and so if we're not trading globally, then we could use more localized currencies and things like that. And we're already seeing that. We're already seeing that uh, with some countries, they're already renegotiating their currency um, to get paid. So, for example, uh, Russia says, if you want our gas, then you got to pay in our currency. We don't want that other currency. There's a lot of reasons for that. I'm not going to go into all that. We could go down that whole rabbit hole. But the point is, is that we're already starting to see some countries renegotiating in their currency. So I'm not saying the dollar is going to lose its reserve status of the world right away, um, or maybe even ever. I mean, I believe it will, but but it's not inevitable at this point. But we will start to see more fragmentation. It's already happening. Oh, man, you listen to the Mark Moss show. We're talking about Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies. We're talking about the decentralized revolution. We're talking about the way the world is going through deglobalization and what would be the impact on Bitcoin's price as that happens. That's exactly what I'm uh, I'm going to explain to you. Like I said, the price is not always the most interesting thing, but in this case it is. So I'm going to explain to you what I think is going to happen to the price as this all unwinds. And is it a risk on or risk off asset? That's what I'm going to cover when I come back. You don't want to miss this, so don't go away. I'll be right back. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. 
And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Moss Show, and we are talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about cryptocurrencies. We're talking about the decentralized revolution like we talk about each and every week. I like to focus on the intersection of politics, finance, and technology. It's where those three come together. In the first segment, I was referencing Ray Dalio's book, The Changing World Order. It's an amazing book. I highly recommend it. Um, It's got so much research, so many charts. It's so good. But it only focuses on the financial side of things. Uh, A little bit talking about how the financial side of things leads into the political side of things. But he completely overlooks the technological side of things. And if you go back through study history, and this is why I don't understand how how he misses this. If you go back through history, it's always technology that changes the world. Um, And he seems to leave that out, which is pretty interesting. But um, back to that's why I like to focus on those three things together, those intersections. And before the break, I was talking about um, we're at this point, uh, the pendulum is swinging back from globalization. We're going to start swinging back to decentralization or deglobalization. And I was talking about specifically what would be the impact on Bitcoin's price. And I was talking about how um, the dollar, you know, I'm not calling for an inevitable uh, imminent crash of the dollar's status, but we're definitely starting to see as supply chains break down, we're starting to see more regional prices and, and currencies pop up. We're already starting to see some countries renegotiate terms in their own in their own currencies. Now, um, it's not just me saying this. I mean, Larry, Larry Fink, the founder of BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, basically said in his annual investor letter, quote, while dependence on Russian energy is in the spotlight, companies and governments will also be looking more broadly at their dependencies on other nations, end quote. So what he's saying is that everyone's starting to like reevaluate everything. Like, shoot, I didn't realize how dependent I was on um, Russia, fill in the blank, China or whatever. And shoot, well, who else am I this dependent on? If I was a business, I wouldn't want to have a business that was dependent on only one customer because if I only had one customer and they didn't buy from me anymore, my whole business goes under. Or if I only had one vendor, right? And that's what a lot of countries have found themselves in. He went on to say, quote, this may lead companies to onshore or nearshore more of their operations, resulting in a faster pullback from some countries, end quote. So what he's saying is uh, we've been sending all our jobs and our manufacturing overseas, which has made things much cheaper for us. But now it's like, oh, shoot, I better have control of this here. I better bring some of this back. 
and it may happen faster than what um, some people think, which is what he's saying, of course, and it is. And then he wanted to say, quote, a large-scale reorientation of supply, chi- supply chains will be inherently inflationary, end quote. So what he's saying is that um, as we start to reorganize the supply chain so we're not so dependent on all these countries, it's going to be inflationary. Again, as I started out saying, we took a $50,000 job and shipped it off offshore for $8,000, or we took a $100 part and we make it offshore for $8, but now it's the opposite of that. So prices went down when we did that, and then when we bring it back or reverse it, guess what? Prices go back up. So what would be the impact on Bitcoin's price? Well, most people, many analysts, think that Bitcoin serves as an inflation hedge like gold, and it has, right? So uh, Bitcoin went from $0 to $40,000. So it's gone up way more than the, the rate of inflation. So it has hedged me against inflation. So it, it has done for that. Um, Bitcoin is what we would consider hard money. It's harder money than the dollar because Bitcoin, the Federal Reserve just prints as many dollars as they want, but nobody can print more Bitcoin. And so it's harder money. It's harder money than gold. Um, if the price of gold went to $10,000 an ounce, more people would go mine gold and more gold would come into existence. But even if the price of Bitcoin went to a trillion dollars and more people tried to mine Bitcoin, it would not produce more Bitcoin. So it's very, very, very hard money. Um, and so it should be an inflation head, right? You would think. However, it hasn't really seemed to be working like that. Um, and why is that? Well, part of it is because is Bitcoin a risk on or a risk off asset? So U.S. inflation jumped to, like I said, 8.5%. Why didn't Bitcoin's price rocket up after the inflation print came out? Isn't it supposed to be an inflation hedge? Is, is Bitcoin an actual inflation? Is it a bad inflation? Is, is it ever going to be a store of value, right? And so there's like all these promises about Bitcoin was supposed to be. And you would think that, you know, um, the Fed the Fed is controlling the money supply, obviously. No one controls the Bitcoin supply. The Fed is controlling the money supply, and they've been given a responsibility for the U.S. monetary policy to ensure it's what's called the dual mandate, the dual mandates are one, maximum employment, and two, stable prices. Now, what's interesting about the stable prices is that the Fed basically has three levers in order to, to achieve that goal. One, um, they can print money. Two, they can control interest rates. And three, they can uh, set the rules for the reserve requirements of the banks. So if they put, if they say, hey, uh, banks, you don't need to keep as much in reserves anymore, you can create more money, then they create more money. If they lower interest rates, people borrow more, which creates money, or they could just print money directly. So they have those things. And they can print money basically by buying bonds and things like that. So all money is debt based, it's created into existence by debt by loaning it out. And so um, the other the other mandate is stable prices, which is kind of funny. So the Fed um, has this, uh, that's their goal. That's their dual mandate. And it's historically meant an arbitrary number of 2% target for inflation each year, meaning the Fed wants things to cost 2% more each year. That's what that's what that means. So their goal is to have 2%. And you heard this, we can't quite get 2% inflation. We're trying to get 2%. We can't get it. We can't get it. Well, their goal of 2% means things cost 2% more per year. Or let me put it another way. That means you lose 2% per year. Let me put it another way. At a 2% inflation number, that means your money or your savings, your money has a half-life of 35 years. So that means at 2% inflation, their goal, 
The Fed's goal is for you to lose 50%, half of your money in 35 years. Does that sound good? Sure doesn't sound good to me. Now, let me put it another way. At 7%, now remember, we just hit 8.5. At 7%, that means you lose half your money in 10 years. That's their goal. That's their stated goal. That's what they consider stable prices. It's insane. That's what they consider stable prices. I would think stable prices means that I don't lose any money over 10 years or 30 years or 100 years. I would think that if I put 100000 in the bank today, in 100 years from now, I still have $100,000 worth of buying power. But instead, I put 100000 into the bank, and in 100 years, that 100000 now only buys me about $5,000 worth of goods and services or $2,000. So that's basically what's happening. Those stable prices are the Fed's um, 2% goal. And so in times of high inflation and an economic, uh, economic uncertainty, investors go risk off, right? They're going to fly to quality. They're going to say, um, it's too risky. I want to go into something like cash or something like government bonds that guarantee me something, something like gold even. And you know what's better than gold? <laughs> gold 2.0 or Bitcoin. So we have high inflation. So everyone just piled right into Bitcoin, right? And the price went up. Well, that's not exactly happened. And why not? Well, it's because it's a little bit too soon. All right. There's one thing missing. It's the narrative. So Bitcoin's hard money properties do make it a risk off asset for its supporters, but most investors still see it like a stock, like a risk on asset. And so even though if you really understand it, you understand it's hard money and it's risk off. Most people buying it today still look at it as a stock as risk on. And so it's really, Bitcoin is more of like an aspirational store of value than the best store of value right now today, unless you have a long enough period of time. And the narrative needs to penetrate more than 100 million people that own it today and get to the other 7.8 billion people who don't view this system as a store of value yet. However, that makes it our opportunity. Because the rest of those people don't realize this yet, then we have an advantage to front run that. We can get in now before the masses do. So the cost of admission is one, volatility, and two, having to wait. If you can stomach the volatility, the price is going up and down, and you can afford to wait five years, you will be handsomely rewarded. The flip side is if you have instant gratification and you can't wait a couple years and you can't stomach the volatility, then you can wait and buy it later. Uh, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show talking about Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, and the decentralized revolution, uh, giving you the play-by-play. -play. Hopefully this made sense to you. Hopefully you can stomach and wait it out because you will be rewarded. Thanks for listening. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. 
Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters— with new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.